Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. This week, we are continuing in our series of messages based on Mark Moore's devotional book, Core 52. Each week, we will explore a key theme from scripture, providing practical insights and reflections to deepen our understanding of God's Word. Join us as we uncover the foundational principles that shape our Christian walk and discover how they can impact our lives today. Being invited to something can be pretty exciting. It can make you feel wanted and included. Uh, When I was about their age, being invited or not invited to something could either make your day or ruin it. It could be the most devastating thing ever to not be invited to a party or to not be picked for a team. But it's a little different once we reach adulthood. There's a variety of emotions that we can feel when we receive an invitation as an adult. Maybe you feel honored by the event itself, depending on what it is that they thought of you, that you were included. Or maybe you receive an invitation and you feel burdened because you're really busy. Or maybe you feel obligated because there's a family relationship involved. Or maybe it's someone who you've already said no to a number of times and you don't feel like it would be good to say no again. So maybe you make an appearance, but maybe you leave early. (laughs) Or maybe you receive an invitation and you don't care at all. Maybe you toss it in the trash. Maybe you know you only got invited because you gave out your email at some point. Or maybe you know that it's a big event and even if you show up, no one will actually notice. The host won't realize if you came or not. There's a lot more complex ways we can feel about invitations as an adult than as a kid. Those are just a few examples. But there's some invitations that also really get your attention. Maybe you receive an invitation and you have to look it over carefully to make sure that, yes, that's actually my name on it. Someone actually invited me to this event. Have you ever gotten an invitation that when you read it, you knew it didn't actually matter what was on the calendar? You were going to this event. Maybe you immediately began to plan out uh, what you were going to wear or what you'd need to do to prepare for this event. Um, If you've ever gotten an invitation like that, you know that some invitations are just special. Today we have a very interesting core theme or topic, and that is election and predestination. We're going to look at this topic through the lens of the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22. And as we go through this parable, we're going to see that there's a few different ways in which the people in the story respond to their invitation. Now, of course, these parables, uh, as we've studied in the past, they are meant as illustrations. They are meant to teach us things. They're, they're lessons for us. And so we're also going to figure out what this parable has to do with us today. So this story, this parable, is about a king. He sends out an invitation to a royal wedding feast for his son. And it also includes the responses that he receives and how it all kind of unfolds. So we're going to start by reading this story in its entirety. So in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 14, it says, Jesus again spoke to them in parables, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all who they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this last verse is our core verse for this week. This is, uh, if you've been doing these as the memory verses, uh, this is a real nice easy one for you this week. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, verse 14. Now that core verse, many are called but few are chosen, along with a few other verses in the New Testament, are connected to a teaching uh, that's been in the church for a few uh, generations. It's called predestination. If you read ahead each week in your chapter, if you're one of those, I know there's a few of you who um, you, you, you couldn't wait, you're, you're a week or two ahead, and that's great. Uh, but if you read ahead, uh, this core might have stood out to you a little bit more than some of the others. It's been discussed and debated by churches and theologians for hundreds of years. Uh, and I remember at MCC, this is a, a teaching or doctrine that we would stay up late at night arguing about in the library till 2 or 3 a.m. Uh, at the expense of our assignments not getting completed on time. The idea of predestination or election is that God predetermines those who will be saved. In other words, he chooses who to save. And by implication, he chooses who not to save. Now listen, there are many faithful Christians who believe this is the case. There are many faithful Christians who do not believe this is the case. Personally, I'd probably be in that latter camp. I don't know where you are. But what I want everyone to understand, wherever you fall on this teaching... Uh, before we go further, it is a touchy subject. It has caused a lot of division in the church over the centuries. And so I really hope, um, I guess every week, I hope that we'll all read the chapters uh, and, and I send out videos as well. Um, but especially this week, I'd really recommend, uh, if you've fallen behind, that's okay. I'm not, no judgment. Um, but maybe just like forget catching up for a week and just read this week's chapter. Uh, and then next week you can try to catch up if you'd like. Because um, Mark Moore does a really good job in the chapter this week of explaining this topic. Uh, and the video as well, which I'll send out in the morning, um, is a really good and helpful explanation. This morning, I'm going to resist the temptation that is right in front of me 
to dive deep into the weeds on this one uh, because it is interesting to me. Uh, but preaching is not just about transferring information. Uh, it's not just about dumping facts on all of you. In Ephesians 4 verse 12, Paul describes the role of a pastor as being to teach and equip the saints. What we share and what we teach is supposed to be useful and practical. And so I don't want to just transfer facts, but to challenge you and to give you something to apply to your own life. There's lots to learn and lots of facts in the books, and we will cover some this morning. Uh, But I want to focus on practicality. Because it's very easy for us to get hung up on what God is doing or how he does it to the point where we forget that we are supposed to be doing things. We don't focus on what we are supposed to be doing. And there is a lot to talk about with this topic. We could, we could spend hours talking about all of this. We could talk about how God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And so, therefore, he has foreknowledge, which means he knows what is going to happen. He knows the decisions you're going to make before you make them. But if he knows the decisions you will make already, are we still free to make them for ourselves? Such as choosing Jesus as our Savior. Is that still free will? So you can debate this for hours. It's all sorts, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I can't lie if you're weird like I am. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot to figure out with this topic. And that makes sense. Understanding God should not be easy. He is beyond our comprehension. So I would argue it's maybe even impossible for us in our limited human understanding to understand how God works. And so that is not the goal today. What the goal is today, what you need to understand this morning is two things. First of all, you are invited. And second, you must respond to the invitation. Even not responding, that is a response. That is a choice. So let's take a look at all the different ways in in this parable we just read that people respond to the invitation that God gives. And again, make no mistake, all are invited, everyone, everyone is invited. Now I know that parables can be confusing sometimes. So in this parable, just a quick uh, run over, everyone is invited, not at the same time, but everyone in this story is invited, and the invitation represents God's salvation. The wedding feast is heaven. We actually see a picture of that in the latter part of Revelation. The king is God inviting us to celebrate the wedding feast of his son, Jesus, and the bride, which is the church. So again, everyone's invited. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38 says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, practice, should reach repentance. So consider yourself invited. Everyone's invited, and all must respond. So you're invited, you must respond. How do people respond in this parable? The first option is to just ignore it. Pretend you never got it, set it aside, pay it no attention. A lot of people live their life this way, ignoring God, ignoring spiritual things altogether. 
And probably we all know people like this. Maybe we have been people like this at some point in our lives. They might be aware that you do all of these spiritual things, that you go to church. They know people like to believe in that stuff, and they're not even necessarily against it. It's just not for them. You want to do all that stuff, that's fine. You go ahead, no judgment, but uh, leave me out of it. The afterlife and all that, uh, either this group of people usually either don't believe in it at all, or they just assume that somehow it's all going to work out all right. Everything will work out in the end. So these are the people who live in the here and now. They're very present focused. This is life in its entirety. This is all that matters. They might even say they do believe in God, even the Christian God, but just to the point where they think, well, if God is this big guy who created everything, surely he has bigger things to worry about than what I'm up to. I think for a lot of people too, based on the world we live in, how busy everything is, I think a lot of people just boils down to being too busy. Because we're all too busy. It's easy for us to ignore God when we're busy with life. Uh, I have actually done this, but have you ever received an invitation to something and maybe even thought, that looks interesting, and then you find the invitation weeks or months later when you're cleaning or organizing something, oh shoot, I forgot about that, months after it's passed. I've done that a few times. And it's easy to do because a lot of people live their lives this way. There's so much going on that they just don't have time to even consider this God that people talk about. We're too busy. And again, this is something I struggle with. Uh, I'm very forgetful. Uh, It's often because I have too many things on my plate or I take too many things on my plate. Uh, I love the chaos. I don't know why, I just do. But it doesn't always work out for me either. Uh, And so usually I start to lose track of what's going on and pieces start to fall. Um, So if, like me, you can relate to that in any way, consider this verse from Psalm 46, verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. If our lives become too busy to slow down and be still before God, consumed by the hustle and bustle of everyday life, we will miss out on what God has for us. And before long, we will miss him altogether. And when that happens, and I say this from experience, it's very funny how quickly our peace disappears as well. So back to this parable, this group that ignores the invitation, whether they intently ignore it or just they're too busy to even look at it or address it, God actually shows mercy to this group. He actually sends out servants to remind them about the invitation. But sadly, at the end of the day, they don't respond. And they ignore it and ignore it, and eventually they just don't end up at the wedding feast. So that's option A. We can ignore the invitation. Option B is a little more severe. We can outright reject the invitation we receive. Tear it up and throw it in the trash. Now these are the people who want absolutely nothing to do with this king or son or wedding feast. These are the people who are hostile towards Christianity, Jesus, and God. These are the people who say, he is not my king and I am not under his rule. They reject God completely. 
And I'm sure we all know people in this camp as well. And again, maybe this was you at some point as well. These people have made up their mind about it, and they do not want to hear anything about it. Now, I'm sure it would infuriate the people in this camp to hear me say this, but a part of this group and what drives this is pride. Because pride is the mother of all sins. Everything's pouring out of pride. The idea that we can do better than God. It's an exaggerated focus on ourselves. Now, in our lives, the way we're created, there must be a God. There must be a motivating or driving force inside of us. So when we remove God from that place, you will slip into that role yourself. Or you'll fill it with something. The only problem is, if you take that seat, you're not actually qualified for the job. It's like being on a plane and saying, I reject pilots, and now you have to fly the plane. It doesn't work out. (laughs) So now you've taken on the job. If you've decided, I'm going to make the decisions, I'm going to play God in my life, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong, then things get very blurry quick, because when you are deciding what is right and wrong, the, the basis for that is based on whims. It's based on what feels right to you. And what ends up happening is that we end up develop, uh, developing an attitude of, I'll just do whatever feels right to me at the time. I'll just do whatever I think is right. And so we end up embracing sin. And ultimately, we end up mocking God with our sin. This is a scary group in this parable because verse 8 says, Those who reject the invitation are not worthy to be at the wedding feast. Again, we do see this today. We see people mocking God. We see people mocking his son. They scoff at this idea of this looming wedding feast, the return of Jesus. And God allows it for now. But we've talked about how there will come a day when judgment will come and the wedding feast will arrive and they will not be there unless they change their ways. The day of judgment will not be a good day for them. Now coming back to our parable, after this group, the king changes his strategy. And culturally speaking, we got to remember Jesus is sharing this story uh, within a culture and it's not our culture. Uh, Culturally speaking, these first two groups Jesus is mentioning would have been the Jews who rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So Jesus is telling them, God will invite others. If you don't accept the invitation, he's saying, fine, I'll find someone who will. That was what he was telling them. And we saw this in Acts. Uh, Paul would go into these towns, he'd share the gospel with the Jewish communities, and they would scoff at him. Uh, If he was lucky, they'd try to kill him if he wasn't. And he would often say, fine, I'll go share this with the Gentiles. They'll listen. So this is Jesus telling them, if you don't accept this invitation, God will take it and send it out to everyone else. And that, of course, is the Gentiles, which thankfully includes most of us here. Um, So that is good. Good news for us. But what the king is saying is, I want people at my son's wedding who will honor my son. So option B is to reject the invitation. Option C is to accept the invitation, but not prepare. They 
RSVP, yes, I want that. I want to be at the wedding feast. Sign me up. This sounds great. The only problem is they don't prepare. They show up unprepared. Jesus illustrates this with a character who comes to the wedding, but he isn't properly dressed. Now, culturally, of course, there would have been proper garments for a wedding. You dress up, even for the, de- the guests, and that's relatable because most of the time that's the same for us. Uh, there's usually a dress code when you are invited to a wedding. Sometimes they're casual, but usually uh, you either dress up in, in your best, uh, or even if it's business casual, you don't show up in jeans or sweatpants, or heaven forbid, a white dress. You don't do that. But why do we do that? Why don't we just wear whatever we want to the wedding? Because we want to honor the couple. In the parable, guests were to be prepared by being in proper wedding attire. And it would have been a profound insult to show up otherwise. And so effectively, this man who showed up improperly dressed, he was making a mockery of both the invitation and the wedding. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about how we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But the one who accepts and does not prepare, they haven't done that. For that person, they see this as a get-out-of-jail-free card or fire insurance. It's, it's a, a safety policy, a safety net. Like, sure, I'll say yes, you can dunk me in the baptistry even if you want. And then I'm back out the door. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life without a care in the world for what God desires. My name is on the church membership. That automatically transfers to the Lamb's Book of Life, right? These are the people who think they've beat the system. They're going to live however they want to live, fully for themselves. And then when they finally pass away, they expect to cash in on an eternity in heaven. Here's the scary thing in this story. For this man, he didn't get to take part in the wedding feast either. It says he was thrown out to the place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when I read that parable, I I find that terrifying. It's one of the scariest parables of Jesus because this improperly dressed, unprepared wedding guest represents someone who claims to be a believer. So that's scary. We don't talk about that kind of thing often. It makes us uncomfortable. A believer whose life remains unchanged. Someone who wants Jesus as their Savior, but not their Lord. Someone who accepts salvation, but not transformation. It's like a wedding guest who shows up to the reception where they're serving turkey dinner. And they say, no thanks, I would like meatloaf. That's not something you do. Whatever they are serving, that is what you eat. And you're grateful and you say thank you. You are invited, but you don't get to set the terms of the invitation. Now understand this, again, whenever you talk about this kind of thing, you kind of have to step back and give a bit of a disclaimer. Jesus invites you and he accepts you as you are. You don't have to become perfect or change in order to be invited. The invitation stands. He accepts you as you are and he loves you as you are. But he loves you enough to not leave you where you are. He wants you to grow and mature in your faith. 
He wants you to prepare for this day. He gives us the tools to do so, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. So that is option C, is to accept the invitation but not prepare for the wedding feast. And there is one more option, and that is to accept and prepare. Now, since this parable is about weddings, what is the moment that every wedding builds up to? The part that's always dramatized in every movie that has a wedding, every TV show, it's when the doors open up and the groom sees the bride for the first time. Now, any of you who have taken part in a wedding, I don't need to tell you how much planning and preparation goes into one. The planning, organization, scheduling, execution, there is so much. And you know, I said to Larissa, like, I loved our wedding, it was great, but now I understand why people just elope. <laughs> like, it makes a lot more sense once you've been through one. I was like, that's great, but wow, that was a lot of work. <laughs> and that's for me. I was the groom. It's a lot harder for the bride. So I didn't have that much to complain about. On, on our wedding day, I got up and showered, put on my suit and tie, put a little pomade in my hair so you knew it was a special occasion. And that was about it. That was about all I had to do. Um, you know, it wouldn't be that different from going to someone else's wedding <laughs> uh, for the guy. I got my hair cut a couple days before, but that, like, that, was, that was about it. Larissa's experience was very different. <laughs> she found the dress. She had to find the right dress. She had to get it altered, uh, which took a long time. I didn't realize until we got married Girls don't just get their hair done on the wedding day. They have to do a practice run weeks before. They try different hairstyles, find the right one. So it's a long process. And then on the wedding day, this, I don't know, like makeup, nails, hair, jewelry, and probably a lot of other stuff I'm not thinking of <laughs> or that I don't know. And, and basically, it takes the whole day up to the wedding itself for the bride to get prepared. So much time and so much preparation and thought goes into this moment, the moment when the door is open and the bride presents herself to the man she loves. And it's beautiful. So how does that connect to us as the church? Well, the church is the bride of Christ. It's one thing to accept the invitation, to say, Yes, I would like some salvation too, please. That sounds great. Anyone can do that. But we as the church and we as believers are to be prepared to present ourselves to Jesus when he returns as his bride. And so as we conclude this morning and head on our way, the truth of the matter is we don't know when he's coming. We don't know when he's coming back. But when he does come, we have to be prepared. We need to be ready to present ourselves to him. Jesus has made an invitation. He has given us all of the preparation details through his word. He has given us the tools to prepare through the Holy Spirit. You are invited. And so we must choose how we respond. So my encouragement to all of us this morning as we consider this invitation and how we will respond is this, to get ready, to be ready, and to stay ready. 
Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come out and to join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.